children and um, just seeing that they have godly parents who just are ready to um, start them on their journey with you, Father. Um, thank you for this church. Thank you for each and every person here online watching. Um, we are blessed to be in such a great church family with so much support and um, just bless the rest of our time together and um, the sermon and the words that are shared with us. In Jesus' name, amen. This, again, is a very special day. For about three or four years, and this was back a bit, um, I was having such a difficult time with my throat, with my voice, that for about three or four years I wasn't able to preach. I was able to teach some classes and do the training that we often do, but I just had to stay out of the pulpit for about three or four years, and that about killed me. Uh, it was very tough because I really love sharing God's Word. And so now every opportunity I get, um, I just really cherish, and I, I just have come to realize how what a responsibility this is and how important it is. So I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 3, if you would join me there. Um, interesting passage, um, especially with dedicating children today. That was a real treat for, to see both uh, children dedicated. And uh, so 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're going to talk about another child that was very special. And let's just uh, pray and ask God to teach us this morning. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. It's such a precious, precious book, and it is needed in every single one of our lives. Father, even in this story that we're familiar with, I pray that you would touch our hearts and you would touch each life and that in a very special way that the Holy Spirit would take the Word of God and really penetrate our hearts. Father, if there's one thing I need to learn this morning, I pray that you would teach me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in 1 Samuel chapters 2 and 3, God prophetically foretells of his judgment on a prophet Eli and his home. This is, um, in my thinking, not, not a happy story, uh, sorry to say. In chapter 3, God prepares Samuel, that is a happy part of the story, and he prepares him for a prominent leadership role over Israel. And in chapter 4, we see God actually removing Eli, and we won't get that far, but we're going to take a look mainly at chapter 3, um, where Samuel is to assume the leadership for which God has prepared him. So there's three very simple points. You're probably familiar with them in chapter 3, but we're going to look at it anyway and ask God to, to teach us what we need to learn. Pastor Michael was exactly right when he talked about baby dedication being for the whole church. It really is. Um, we all need help with our kids. I, I've been in training seminars where I've asked people, how many of you need help with your kids? Every single hand goes up whether you have kids or grandkids, we all want help. And this isn't something that we really want to do alone. 
And so in this particular chapter, we're going to take a look, first of all, at the call of Samuel, the call of Samuel in chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. And we're just going to walk through these verses. There's 21 verses all together. We'll just walk through them and make some comments on them and do the application at the end. Verse 1, it says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. So Samuel was referred to in verse 1 as the child, probably about 12 years old. And chapter 3 continues the story when Samuel is a teenager. I love working with teens, and so this passage really always uh, ministers to my own heart. Catch this. We read that a word from the Lord was precious or rare in those days. There was no open vision. They were infrequent, which tells me that God's people were really not listening to God in those days, so God didn't speak very often. That's what it's referring to, that God wasn't, wasn't giving revelation. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, For where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. I've heard that verse used out of context uh, many times. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And what it's really talking about is when there is no revelation, when God isn't giving his word through the prophet back in that day, um, people are in trouble. Verse 2 says, And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. That's a significant revelation for these words speaking, uh, uh, no doubt of his sight, but I really believe makes inference to the fact that uh, Eli was becoming a little bit um, lazy, perhaps, in his position and his responsibility. Um, It wasn't just his eyesight that had been growing dim. He was kind of losing his touch. And I, that, to me, is very sad. I, is, it, to me, it's one of the saddest stories in all the Bible because Eli had been a prophet for many years. He had been doing the work of God. Um, and as his eyesight is growing dim, his spiritual insight seems to be go, growing dim as well, his spiritual sharpness. Verse 3 says, And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. So the call of Samuel comes in the early hours of the morning, for it says the lamp of God had not gone out yet. And as you know, the lamps were always to burn during the night, according to Second Chronicles 13. It says, and every morning and evening they burn to the Lord, burn offerings and fragrant incense, and the showbread is set on the clean table. And the golden lampstand with his lamps is ready to light every evening, for we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. So the lamps had to be lit before dark, and they burned through the night and burned out at daybreak since the lamp of God had not gone out yet. We know it was very early in the morning, probably still dark. In verse 4, we pick it up. It says that, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. You know the story. Samuel is lying there, and, and he hears, Samuel. And... He's lying down at his appointed place inside the tabernacle, not probably far from the Ark of the Covenant, which is inside the Holy of Holies. And verse 5 says, And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I, I, I didn't call you. Lie us down again. In other words, go back to sleep. <laughs> and uh, I've often thought to myself, easier said than done. You know how it is. You wake up at night and you're thinking about something or you're troubled and 
You try to go back to sleep because that's what makes sense early in the morning before it's daybreak. Verse 6, And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called you not, my son. Lie down and go back to sleep. What are you doing to me, you know? I find it interesting that Eli didn't have a clue that God might be speaking to Samuel. And you might think, well, yeah, is that un yeah, it is unusual. When you think of who Eli was, he was a prophet. He should have been expecting God to speak to him, and if not him, to Samuel. Doesn't have a clue. Somebody's calling Samuel, and, and Eli doesn't know that it's God. Well, I will give him credit for at least figuring it out the third time, uh, but not before. Perhaps, like I said, his spiritual eyes had grown dim as well. He was a prophet. And as a prophet, there are certain things that you just have to get right, isn't there? Verse 7 says, Now Samuel did not know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. So I, it, it appears to me that Samuel had not been converted yet. And I believe this is the time he's converted. It's a, and, and like Eli's sons, Samuel does not yet know the Lord. Eli's sons did not know the Lord, and they never would. Verse 8 says, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And in other words, then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Finally, Eli gets it. Verse 9, Eli says to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went, and he laid down in his place. And verse 10 says, And the Lord came and stood and called us at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak for thy servant heareth. That, that verse literally sends chills up my back to think of the fact that this is the beginning of Samuel's relationship with God Almighty. And, and they actually carry on this conversation that Samuel would carry on many, many, many times after. Samuel actually replies, speak for thy servant is listening. Somewhere in the course of this conversation, I believe Samuel becomes a believer. This is the first time that Samuel actually speaks to God in this two-way conversation, the first no doubt of many times that this would happen. And verse 11 says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In other words, I'm going to, be do, I'm going to do something really unbelievable, incredible. And I'm sure Samuel was really listening at that point. And, and what God tells Samuel is absolutely amazing, that he is about to do something that's going to call all, uh, cause all of Israel to start talking. No joke. Verse 12, And in that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. And the message given to Samuel, make no mistake, it was, it was focused on Eli's sin. More specifically, God indicates that he is bringing about judgment on Eli and his house. This is a pretty serious issue. Verse 13 says, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth. Now, notice that, which he knoweth. Eli was not a dumb man. He was a smart man. He was a prophet for many years. And I've often thought to myself, when, when God is speaking to me about doing something that I need to do, and he's speaking to me and I'm convicted, 
Can I tell you that it's usually something I already know that I need to do. It's not like a new revelation. I've, I've been in many church services, and I've heard a lot of speaking, and every time I hear the word of God shared, there's always something God shows me that I need to start doing. I need to do a better job. And it's often not anything brand new that I've never heard of before. It's something that my own conscience, the, the Holy Spirit just pricks my heart, and I think, God, you've talked to me about this before. It's time I do something. And Eli actually does verbally, I've heard people say, well, Eli never rebuked his sons. That's why God judged him. Well, I don't, I don't really think that's so. The scriptures tell us that Eli actually rebuked his sons. He had two ungodly sons. He did rebuke him, but I don't think he did enough. He didn't stand in the way like he should have. He, he allowed them to do things. Now, I got to tell you, when I first started out in ministry, I read a lot of books on raising children. I, I was going to be the perfect parent that there ever was. I read every book I could get, and I, and I learned a lot of things. And then I had kids. <laughs> and I got a lot smarter <laughs> and realized it's not always easy. There, there's some really challenging times. Um, a very, very dear, good friend of mine once used the words, it's sometimes like corralling a raptor. I'll never forget that. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like sometimes. Kids have a mind of their own. It's, it's, some of you are smiling. You know exactly what I'm talking about. They, you know, even with our best intentions, they sometimes want to do what they want to do. And we just have to ask God for insight and help and wisdom. And so I'm not dragging Eli over the coals because I think he was just a horrible parent. Um, I think he was a neglectful parent, and I think he failed to do some things that God really wanted him to do. Maybe there were times when his sons were absolutely out of control, and maybe at this point it's just too late, but he still could have done something. He could have removed his sons from the priesthood. He had the authority to do that. He could have just said, listen, you're not doing... They were corrupt, corrupt as can be. And I think that's why God was so angry with him. I've often thought to myself, would God have removed him if he was doing his job as a parent and, and as a prophet and a priest? Verse 14 says, And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. He certainly could have exercised some restraint. He could have made it difficult for them. He could have stood in the way. He could have removed them as priests. Apparently, by not doing it so, I believe the scriptures teach us that he was actually facilitating their sins. And it was for this that God was going to come down hard and he was going to deal hard with Eli and his entire house. And we understand that Eli's sin and the sins of his sons have really grieved the Lord. So you so you have the call of God, or the call of Samuel. You have the call of Samuel. What a, what a great opportunity. And then you have the concern of Samuel. The concern, verses 15 to 19. Now, you, if you can imagine this for a moment. So the Lord has appeared to Samuel, and he's called him, and he's told him, I'm going to judge Eli and his entire house. Eli was the one Samuel was serving. It's the one he was working with. It was the one he... He, he slept not far away so he could come and help Eli as he was becoming an old person. 
And Samuel lay until the morning. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he laid away the rest of the night. God has just appeared to him and told him, I'm going to replace Eli with you. So think about it. Verse 15 says, And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. I'm sure he did. How would you like to go to the prophet, the priest, and say, by the way, this is what God told me last night. Um, I, I don't know as I've really thought deep about how th- that must have felt. And when you think about it, Samuel seems to avoid Eli in the morning. He goes about his regular routine just as always, as, as though nothing had happened. The fact that God had just appeared to him and talked to him. Verse 16, you know what's coming. It says, and Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. Good time to be dear. And he answered, here am I. And Eli knows that God has called Samuel three times during the night, so I don't know if Eli would have slept much after that either. I wonder what God talked to Samuel about and not me. Verse 17, it says, and he said, what is the thing that the Lord has said unto thee? I'm sure he wanted to know. I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Eli presses Samuel to tell him all that God had spoke to him, and, and he doesn't allow Samuel to hold back. It's just killing him. Verse 18. And Samuel told him every whit, and hid nothing from him. And he said, Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. I, I've read that a number of times, and I've thought, What is that? Eli says to Samuel, well, it's the Lord, let him do what seemeth, it's like, what is that? And Robert Deffenbaugh from Texas writes this, I I just have to read what, this is good. He says, Eli could at least have repented of his own sins of neglect. Instead, Eli speaks words which have a religious ring and appear to be an evidence of his submission to the sovereign will of God, but which are really an expression of Eli's willingness to continue on in his sin. What we read is not an expression of faith in God's sovereignty, but an expression of fatalism couched in religious terms. I agree. I think he's right on. So you have the call of Samuel, and then you have the concern of Samuel. Samuel, I'm sure, wasn't looking forward to telling Eli uh, who he loved and, and served. But then you have the courage of Samuel, because Samuel goes on, and that's what the man of God does even in difficult times, and it's verses 19 to 21, just a few verses. It says in verse 19, and I've I've underlined this, circled this, highlighted this. This is so special. Verse 19, what does it say? And Samuel grew. He grew. And if there was a second amazing blessing here, he not only grew, but it says the Lord was with him. And you can always tell the man of God because God's hand seems to be on the man of God and God is with him. You read that of Joseph, you read that of others. And it was certainly true of Samuel. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. That's amazing. Samuel takes his first encounter with God seriously. How do we know him? Because he grew from that point on. Samuel is just really in love with God. And the Lord was with him, and Samuel let none of his words fall to the ground, a formula for success, I think. In fact, 
I'm kind of puzzled here. Did God let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground, or did Samuel let none of God's words fall to the ground? I really think it's both. I think Samuel took God seriously, and he decided that he was just going to listen to everything that God said, and he was going to do it. But I also think it's true that God let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. You see, Samuel became a prophet of God. He, he became the person that, that God uh, gave the responsibility of, of hearing a word from God and taking it to the people and saying, listen, this is what God told me. That's what the prophet did. I remember one of our Olympian lessons really dealt, dealt with that very effectively, that, that every prophet had a responsibility of hearing God, of taking what God says to him, and then taking it to the people and saying, this is what God said. Are you willing to do it? By the way, that's very much what the pastor does. He reads God's word, and then he makes sense of it. He just explains it in ways that we can understand. And then he basically challenges us to just do what we've read and do what we've heard. And that's what the prophet did. And Samuel took this very seriously. Samuel was to be Eli's replacement, functioning as a prophet, a priest, and a judge, actually. Verse 20, look at how the the chapter ends. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. By the way, I think that's one of the, if I were to add a fourth sign, I think that's a fourth sign. Other people seem to know it, recognize it, when God has called a person. Verse 21, and the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So verse 21 tells us specifically of a second appearance of God to Samuel at Shiloh, and and other appearances will follow. How do we know someone is a true prophet? I remember Olympian lessons talking about that way back in, in the Old Testament. There were a lot of people who would stand up and say they were a prophet of God. Didn't necessarily make it so. The prophet of God was always the one who really listened to what God said, and then simply told the people, here's what God told me to tell you. They were faithful to their office. But the prophet of God was always 100% accurate. That's how you knew. The, the one who was not a prophet of God, they would you know, hit it sometimes and not hit it sometimes. Sometimes they would say something that totally turned out not to be true. Because the prophet was often not only foretell the word, but also foretell their, they would they would talk about things that are going to happen in so many days. And if they were a true prophet of God, it always happened exactly as the prophet said it would. There was never this, you know, like, well, I thought that's what God was saying. No, that was not a prophet of God. Every Israelite realized that God's hand was upon Samuel and that he spoke the word of the Lord. From Dan, the northernmost part of the land, to Beersheba, the southernmost city, all Israel recognized Samuel as a prophet of God. It's been a while, but the silence was broken. As we make application, it, it's, it's important that we, that we learn something from this. I can't just close my Bible and go home and say, there we go, we taught a little bit of history. There's rich application here. First of all, It's a very sad ending of a life of service of a man, a prophet, and a priest. Uh, The scriptures tell us that Eli had served God 40 years. Um, I got to tell you, when I was reading this, one of the things that really convicted me is I've been with Word of Life about 32 years preaching the Word of God, and before that, a pastor for seven years. 
Well, you add those 32 years and those seven years, that's 39 years I've been uh, employed in preaching the gospel. Now, before that, as a layperson, my wife and I taught Sunday school. Actually, when I began, when I, when I was 17 years old, I was asked by our pastor, I'll never forget that day, the pastor came to me and says, we need a junior high Sunday school teacher. And he says, we don't have anyone. He says, I think you're the man. I was 17 years old. Jamie and I were in our own, we were in a senior high Sunday school class. And I said, you really want me to, to teach a junior high class? I said, I'd love to do that, but I don't know if I know how. And he says, oh, you know how. He says, I, you're the person. I mean, we've all talked about it on the deacon board. You're the one. And, and so we've actually, if you, if you count those years as a lay person, like 45 years, can you imagine Eli has been doing this 40 years? And he's become ineffective. Here's, here's some application. Number one, and I'm just going to, I think, share three things. Number one, don't miss the warning signs. God has many means by which he works and, and, and he, as he works truth into our lives. Sometimes he causes illnesses, sometimes he, you know, maybe no illness to us, but maybe a tragedy in someone else's life. There's a lot of things that God does to convict and to work into our lives truth. And, and he, along the way, he really gives us a lot of warning signs. I, I've, I've seen it in my life, times when I felt God was speaking to me about something. Don't miss the warning signs. When God is not happy with us over something, don't miss what he wants to do in your life. God repeatedly warned Eli of the judgment which was coming upon his house. The, the years that passed between the first warning of, of fulfilling God's promises and, and the judgment and all of that and, and the time when he finally acted and removed Eli, he had warned Eli in many ways. He is the God of second chances. I believe that with all my heart. Eli missed it. And all Israel knew that there was now a true prophet of God. God sovereignly prepares a way for the removal of Eli and his sons by raising up this young Samuel, calling and gifting him to be a prophet. And by the way, there were dark days ahead for the nation of Israel. The priesthood was corrupt. Those who were called to serve God in the nation were abusing their office and they were abusing the people. And the priests had become thieves and robbers and corrupt and immoral. If I, if I were to read to you some of the things that, that Eli's two sons did, they were hideous. They, they were just, they made people actually hate worship and hate the temple. It was wrong. Eli missed the warning signs. Don't miss the warning signs. Secondly, Consider what we learn about the call of God on a man. God still calls men today, just like he calls Samuel in the day of trouble. And, and it won't be by a personal appearance or a vision, but through his holy word through the Bible. Just like Samuel, we've got to declare God's word to men. And, and it's very possible in this very place that God may have his hand on a young person, maybe even a young lady or a young man that God wants to basically call you into ministry. Don't miss it. God's still calling people today. I think one of the best things at Little White Church, the church that my wife and I grew up in, I think one of the best things they ever did for us was ask us to, to serve in several various positions. I fell in love with the Lord at that church. And, and it became just so much 
effective in our lives, that, that particular local church. I believe God is still speaking. And there could be a young man or young lady here today that says, I don't know what God wants me to do, but I feel that urgent. I want to serve God in a special way. Listen to him and, and let him speak into your life. And then lastly, and then we're done. Thirdly, what are we doing to raise our children to be godly? This is, this is simple. But do you have a plan for each of your kids? A deeply prayed for purpose with goals that you've laid out by the grace of God to develop the insights that your children will need to serve, to survive in a God-forsaken land. Can I just tell you something as we get ready to close that I'm going to pray? They will not become spiritual giants by accident. It won't happen by accident. It will happen because, first of all, God is an amazing God. But parents, hopefully, will really pray about their purpose that each of their children have and how I can raise them to be godly. And I promise you, it's not easy. It's a challenge. Uh, there's an awful lot that is out there against your children. And we really have to take this serious as a church family to really pray for each other and really help each other with this. It's a monumental task. Let's pray. Father, it's an awesome thing to dedicate children to the Lord. It's a precious opportunity. We know that Jesus loved children dearly. But Father, it's a big task. And we're up for it mainly because we know we have you on our side. We know that you're a great God, and, and this can happen successfully. But as a church, we need to help each other, and we need to be with each other. We need to pray for each other, and we need to take an interest in each other's kids. We need to take seriously the way that you grieved over Eli and the ungodliness of his sons. Father, and a whole other message I share what these two sons exactly have done, had done and how they had grieved you. And I pray, Father, that you would take these scriptures and that you would remind us of the call of Samuel, the concern of Samuel, and the courage of Samuel. We need that courage. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe at this time, uh, Pastor Michael, we are dismissed. Is that correct?